there. Welcome to Interviews on Between the Pieces, where Tank and DPS go to protospiels, other conventions, and talk to prototype designers and figure out where they are with their works in progress. All right, so we have Joe Slack with us here at the online protospiel, and we are going to talk about, we're going to talk games he's brought to us, to the protospiel, to test and things like that. So Joe, what have you brought? I brought lots of stuff. I always have lots of games up on Tabletop Simulator, so a couple that I have that I'm uh, looking forward to hopefully test a little bit. Uh, one is called Mayan Curse. It's a uh, co-designed game, and it's about being an adventurer, kind of like an Indiana Jones-style adventurer against all other adventurers, running to race to a temple to grab a sacred amulet and be the first one back out. But as you're doing that, the temple is kind of falling apart, and you have to kind of figure out puzzles and paths to, to get there and back. So it's a very mm. kind of a puzzly, solvy, problem-solving kind of a game uh, with a little adventure theme. Um, and I have another one called Avoid the Cacti, which is a simultaneous, almost uh, pick-and-write kind of game huh. where you're picking bouquets and trying to avoid picking the most popular one because uh, that's going to give you a cactus, which is going to lead to negative points at the end of the game. Hmm. I like cactuses. <laughs> So I guess you're playing the opposite game? <laughs> the opposite game. I want all of the succulents. <laughs> you can play like golf. You can get the lowest score there. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so how? what games have you been able to? Have you been able to test any games so far? I know it's early in the convention. Uh, not so far yet. I had uh, an interview earlier today and uh, a couple other things I was doing. So I've just mostly been just on the coffee chats and that kind of thing. And I'm also moderating this weekend, helping out the, the crew here. So just kind of getting getting the feel for everything that's going on. Wonderful. Have you been to any of the other online pro spiels yet? Yes, I went to their previous one and it was it was fantastic. I, I put in almost full days, I think all two or three days it was running and it was, it was a fantastic experience. Super cool. So it sounds like you have some experience with Tabletop Simulator. Uh, yeah, I've, I've actually owned the program for probably a little over two years, but it was only really in the last maybe four or five months now since basically COVID that I've really dove in deep and uh, been creating tons of games there and playtesting other people's games uh, quite a bit more. So do you think you're actually playtesting more online than you did in person, even with the time hurdle? In some ways, yes. Uh, so you can do more full days of playtesting at some of these uh, virtual protospiels and virtual conventions. And just there's, there's so many game design events going on. I'm, I'm a member of so many different groups. I could pretty much play test games every single day uh, <laughs> if I wanted to and if I had the time. But of course, I've got uh, you know other priorities and other things going on. But definitely, in terms of the opportunities, definitely way more opportunities. But of, of course, it takes mm -hmm. a little bit longer to play test games and you have to rely on mm -hmm. other people in time zones and that type of thing to yeah. uh, get together at the same time. But being able to play test with other people in different time zones, like we'd never be able to play test in person with somebody from the UK or from Japan or something. Absolutely. Um, I've been able to play test with uh, a lot of people overseas and even uh, at one of the virtual conventions earlier, I did some demos of uh, my game that's on Kickstarter right now, Relics of Rajahara, and I was able to play test with some people who wouldn't have otherwise been able to necessarily see it, which was really cool. Is there any kind of different mindsets you see so far with play testing with people from America versus from across the pond? Uh, not really so far. I mean, I think every individual playtester or designer brings something unique to the table based on their own experience, what types of games they play, what types of games they enjoy, and their experience, whether either designing games or playtesting other games. So I think it, it really comes down to an individual level. So how much of a hurdle do you find it for your design when you don't have that across the table interaction? Because I know some games rely on that. That physical. that physical tension. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, between my own games and other games I've play tested for other people, I can definitely say there are some that lend themselves well and some that don't. I mean, any game that relies on a lot of back and forth conversation and negotiation, especially when everybody at the table is talking at the same time, yeah. that's really, really hard to do and, and probably not advisable over something like Tabletop Simulator. It may work a little better over Zoom, but still anything where there's a lot of voices at once, you really need to kind of be together. Um, also, anything really dexterity-based is, is very oh. difficult to get kind of the same feel if it's very tactile kind of a game. Um, but a lot of other games do lend themselves fairly well. Um, I mean, something like a roll and write can be done over a tabletop simulator or Zoom, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the one thing that's kind of missing as a designer that, that I definitely miss is seeing people across the table and seeing their body language and seeing how mm -hmm. you know how they interact with the game what they're thinking what they're not doing on their turn especially yeah because you can't see that i mean if you're sitting there playing a game in a physical environment you can see when somebody goes and picks up their phone and is playing and you can see they're clearly not engaged but yeah. when they're not actually right there you don't know what they're doing they could be they could be really engaged and invested in trying to figure out what they're doing next or they could be you know checking their email and you know doing everything else and just mm -hmm. waiting for it to be their turn basically that does make quite a hurdle um you think like hurdles like that can maybe be overcome with like a document for people to fill out at the end maybe or something like that to get their opinion based on stuff that they could just fill out and send to you um it's possible i haven't really uh, dove into really using forms that type of thing i, mm -hmm. I like more of kind of a free form discussion because i think that it lends itself more to um, different ideas and, and people ripping off each other. Like if somebody says, well, I didn't really feel like um, I had much choice in this. And somebody else may say, yeah, it, it kind of felt like this other game or, or this other game did something really well. So when you have those conversations and other people can kind of jump in and you can, you can just kind of change your questions on the fly, because whenever you're playtesting a game, depending on what stage you're at, you're going to be asking different questions. If it's very early, you're just going to ask simple questions about, you know, trying to figure out what, what's kind of fun. Is, is there really a hook to this? Is there something worth going further with? And then when you're much further along, you want to understand, you know, if there's things that are unclear in the rules, uh, this one change you make um, have a good effect and that type of thing. So I haven't really gone the form method. I really like the interactive conversations. So we, we also like the interactive conversations when we have our designs going out there. But the one thing that I know I've been asked before, and I'd be curious to hear your uh, take on it, is when you have that freeform discussion going back and forth, how do you filter out the useful information that you need as a designer to make the changes that need to be made? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really difficult one. And um, especially if you're a fairly new and aspiring game designer, because you're going to get all sorts of feedback and some of it's going to conflict mm -hmm. with, uh, with somebody. Somebody might say they want more choice here. Somebody might say there's too much and they're getting analysis paralysis or AP. Um, so you really have to figure out a way to do that. And, and I think one of the best things I, I try to do is I always try to make sure that I have a vision for my game and where I want it to go. So I can say this game, I want there to be, you know, a lot of tension. I want it to be really fast paced. I want, I want people to get this particular feeling when they're playing the game. And then I, that helps with the filtering with the comments and the suggestions. Cause if somebody comes along and suggests something I can think back to, is this going to help? with that vision I have for the game. Is this just an idea that's different or is this a game that's actually going to help uh, kind of take it in that direction? So I think as long as you have that vision and what you're going for with your game, it really helps because otherwise you can go down a lot of different rabbit holes and explore all sorts of different things. And they may be interesting things, but they may not be 
what you want from your game. So you have to know when to write those down and say, that's a cool idea, or that mechanic might be really cool in something else. So I'll write it down, and maybe I'll make use of it in another game. Make a very clear outline. Yeah, because in the end of the day, it is your game. Yeah, and I mean, you can get some fantastic feedback from playtesters. I mean, ultimately, you're the one that has to make the decision as the designer. So what you're really trying to do is get to the root of the problem. Because a lot of people will just jump right away to, oh, um, I wish I I wish I wish could attack this other player and take their stuff. And, and then you have to kind of get to the root. Well, why, why do you feel that way? And it mm-hmm. might just come down to, well, I just like take that game. So I just like games where you can be kind of mean. Or it might just be that, uh, they didn't feel like they had the choice or they, they couldn't get enough of the thing that they wanted to. So you really have to kind of keep asking that question, why? And then they, they give another answer. And then why? And you kind of get back to the root of it. Okay, this is what the problem is because you need to understand the problem before you jump to the solution. So yeah. really that that's the first thing you want to tackle because then once you know what the problem is, then you can get suggestions from other play testers. And sometimes they're super helpful, but then you can also take your ideas and brainstorm and think, okay, here are like 10 different things I could try. Okay, which is the one that I think is going to be the best? Test it. If that doesn't work, go to the next best on the list. And then just keep going through that. Because not every game is meant for everybody. Absolutely. But there is a game out there for everyone. Yep. Also true. <laughs> so of the couple of games you brought to play test, which one are you more you know, further along or more excited about for testing? Um, my in-purse is definitely further along. Um, it's already been in the stage where we pitched it to a number of publishers, yeah. um, had some interest. Um, some of the issues were that the component cost might be a little bit high compared to the experience or compared to the kind of mm-hmm. uh, complexity of the game, that type of thing. So I'm testing some changes or some suggestions that some publishers had or, or like um, addressing some issues that they've identified with, with it being um, the, the, last, the very last part kind of dragged on a little bit. Um, so we're trying to speed up that kind of end part when they're when, you, when you're escaping uh, from this um, you know cursed area uh, that type of thing. Uh, but with the board of the cacti, I'm also interested because it was a game that came together very quickly. It was part of a 10 minute design challenge, which came up an idea based on a couple a couple criteria, and I really liked the idea and I just put it together and it, it clicked like almost right away. So what I'm looking to do is I still have to make a couple minor changes, but I just want to kind of balance what the scoring is for each different type of flower. Because on the last play test I did, uh, players kind of suggested that it felt like you, you almost have to pick one strategy at the beginning and kind of run with it because it's almost like if you have the most, it's almost like you're going for the most of one thing. You're trying to get a lot of one thing. There's not a, a, enough of like combos or different kind of criteria there. So I'm trying to like incorporate a little bit more of like the sushi go type scoring mm-hmm. into it, that there's already some there, but just kind of tweaking that. So I'm, excited about that too but in a different way it's, it's got a little further to go in. or you can like backtrack if you see that things aren't going quite your way you can go a different direction kind of thing exactly because you don't want a player to feel like they're stuck or um you know I, i'm struck trying with this one thing and i have to stick with it and you know if it's not going to pay off i don't have a plan b you always want players to have like a plan b oh, or yeah. something else they can strive for how long have you been working on these two games um my in purse probably in total about a year and a half um okay. My co-designer had started the design, and he got kind of stuck, and uh, we work on a lot of things together, and, and quite often, you know, we'll start on a design, and then we'll put the other, pull the other one in and say, kind of like, I- I'm stuck. Do you want to come in and co-design this with me? I know you've played it a little bit, and you have some ideas, so he pulled me into that. So at least a year and a half in, in total, uh, he's probably been working on that a little bit before that. Um, and then Avoid the Cacti was just something I came up with um, maybe just a few months ago. 
That's awesome to hear that you still had the creative juices flowing in the midst of all everything that's going on. I know we do a lot of that a lot of the time where if we get stuck or something, we always talk to each other to try and like get a different perspective. And usually it helps out a lot with those kind of blocks. It's, it's so helpful to get somebody else's perspective, whether it's just, you know, the last play test didn't go so well and you don't know what the solution is and just putting it in front of another group and kind of seeing what they feel and, and saying like, what, what do you think should happen here? That kind of thing. Or mm-hmm. going to another designer and just have a chat. Or in some cases, it, it's better to have two minds working on things. So it just depends if you can find somebody you work well with. Mm-hmm. So I see that you uh, sent us the text saying uh, the relics of Rajivara, if I said that right. So what, what is uh, that? Relics of Rajivara, yes. Yes, plug that. Tell us about it. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, so it's a uh, solo game. So it's a, a solo puzzly adventure game where you play as a character who has to go through a series of 50 levels um, in order to uh, capture your nemesis. Wow. My nemesis that you uh, found this ancient uh, palace that's filled with treasures, but your nemesis, Professor Montello, has already descended into the palace, and he's trying to summon up the spirits of Rajivahara. So you have to go through all these levels, and the levels are very reminiscent of um, ver- very different puzzle games, uh, like it was inspired by some classic NES Nintendo games like Fire and Ice and Zelda and Adventures of Lolo, and then some other games like... Um, River Crossing and Rush Hour, and I hadn't even heard of Sokoban until uh, people started talking about that when they were playing it. But it's kind of that similar kind of puzzly feel where you're pushing around like crates and other objects mm-hmm. in order to get to the goal and advance to the next level. And it's a continuous build of difficulty. One level after the other is always more difficult. And then at the end, it's almost legacy or campaign style mm-hmm. where after you beat the first 10 levels and go after your nemesis, he descends to the next floor. And you open the next box, and you're introduced to a whole new type of block that behaves completely differently, and another set of 10 levels. And you do this through the succession of 50 levels. But I also didn't want it to be a game where you play it once, and then you put it on the shelf, like some video games once you finished it. So I also introduced um, a box that you open at the end. It's a little bonus box. You open that up, and you get a whole new series of replayable adventures where you're going to tackle some of the old levels you saw in the campaign but with completely different challenges. And there's literally thousands of different combinations of different things you can do, and it's even more challenging than the campaign in some ways. So for a, a solo game with that many levels and such, it seemed like it'd take like forever, maybe, or it'd be kind of short. What's the average length of time it takes somebody to go through all 50 levels? Oh, it, it really spans. And, uh, I mean, I've been tweaking the levels. Whenever I see, you know, it's a little too easy, I was trying to make it a little harder. But I've had some players who are like really, really adept at puzzle games, beat the entire 50 levels in about an hour and a half or two. And I've seen others take, you know, five or six hours or more. That's just for the campaign. Mm-hmm. But then when you break up the new levels, you can play them just as kind of a standalone. And you might sit there playing it for 10 or 15 minutes, trying to figure it out. Uh, you might get stumped and have to try again or, or just move on to a new level if, it's, if you can't quite beat that challenge. Yeah, for sure. So, where are you based out of? I'm in Toronto, Canada. Ah, fun. So, kind of close to us. What do you do besides, you know, making board games and doing design courses and things? Uh, Well, basically, I I left my job uh, almost two years ago now. I was in healthcare. I was in the healthcare IT world and business intelligence and data analysis, and I was there for quite a long time. I was there for about 17 years, and I... um, I, I was just ready for a change at that point, and I'd been designing games for a number of years, and had written my book, and that that was really the course of 
of change that I really wanted. I wanted to be doing something more that I that I enjoyed, that I felt more sense of accomplishment and that type of thing. So I've basically been doing this for the last uh, two years, writing books. Um, I taught at Wilfrid Laurier University uh, for a semester in game design and, and uh, development, and uh, developed my own online course and uh, just working on more games, self-publishing and pitching to other publishers. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. In the comments of the podcast or in the in the description section, you'll see links to his course and his books and all that wonderful stuff that he's put together for aspiring designers. Is there anything else you want to plug before we end this and go grab somebody else to talk to? For sure. Um, I guess the only other thing I'd say is my my next project after uh, this campaign runs up for, for runs <laughs> after this campaign rather ends for Relics of Ajahara is I'm going to be creating a board game design virtual summit. So huh. this is an event where I've already got about 18 or 19 uh, pretty well-known, a lot of pretty well-known names and experts in different fields within the board game design and, and board game world. Um, for anybody from publishers to designers to other industry experts. And I'm going to be putting them all together in one big virtual summit that anybody can listen to from the uh, comfort of their home. And that's going to be coming at some point in September or October. Wonderful. When you get a more secure date of that, let us know. I mean, it's a lot easier to get a whole bunch of tops of the industry together when you don't have to pay airfare. Uh, that's very true, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to us, and have a great time at the Protospiel. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to interviews on Between the Pieces with Tank and DPS. See you next time.